The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle. Volume 3, The Guillotine. Book 1, September. Chapter 2, Danton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 1, Chapter 2, Danton. But better than raising of Longwy, or rebuking poor dusty soldiers or soldiers' wives, Danton had come over last night and demanded a decree to search for arms, since they were not yielded voluntarily. Let domiciliary visits with rigour of authority be made to this end. To search for arms, for horses, aristocratism rolls in its carriages while patriotism cannot trail its cannon to search generally for munitions of war in the houses of persons suspect and even if it seem proper to seize and imprison the suspect persons themselves in the prisons their plots will be harmless in the prisons they will be as hostages for us and not without use this decree the energetic minister of justice demanded last night and got and this same night it is to be executed. It is being executed at the moment when these dusty soldiers get saluted with Murir. Two thousand stands of arms, as they count, are foraged in this way, and some four hundred head of new prisoners. And on the whole, such a terror and damp is struck through the aristocrat heart as all but patriotism, and even patriotism were it out of this agony, might pity. Yes, monsieur, if Brunswick blast Paris to ashes, he probably will blast the prisons of Paris too. Pale terror, if we have got it, we will also give it, and the depths of horrors that lie in it, the same leaky bottom in these wild waters, bears us all. One can judge what stir there was now among the thirty thousand royalists, how the plotters, or the accused of plotting, shrank each other closer into his lurking place like Bertrand Mauville, looking eager towards Longwy, hoping the weather would keep fair. Or how they dressed themselves in valet's clothes like Narbonne, and got to England as Dr. Bowman's famulus. How Dame de Stael bestirred herself, pleading with Manuel as a sister in literature, pleading even with Clark Tallien, a prey to nameless chagrins. Royalist Peltier, the pamphleteer, gives a touching narrative, not deficient in height of colouring, of the terrors of that night. From five in the afternoon a great city is struck suddenly silent, except for the beating of drums, for the tramp of marching feet, and ever and anon the dread thunder of the knocker at some door, a trickler commissioner with his blue guards, blackguards, arriving. All streets are vacant, says Peltier, beset by guards at each end. All citizens are ordered to be within doors. On the river float sentinel barges, lest we escape by water, the barriers hermetically closed. Frightful! The sun shines serenely westering in smokeless mackerel sky. Paris is as if sleeping, as if dead. Paris is holding its breath to see what stroke will fall on it. Poor Peltier! Acts of apostles and all jocundity of leading articles are gone out, and it has become bitter earnest instead. 
polished satire changed now into coarse pike points hammered out of railing all logic reduced to this one primitive thesis an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth peltier dolefully aware of it ducks low escapes unscathed to england to urge there the inky war anew to have trial by jury in due season and deliverance by young whig eloquence world celebrated for a day of thirty thousand naturally great multitudes were left unmolested but as we said some four hundred designated as persons suspect were seized and an unspeakable terror fell on all woe to him who is guilty of plotting of anti-civism royalism foyantism who guilty or not guilty has an enemy in his section to call him guilty poor old monsieur de cazotte is seized his young loved daughter with him refusing to quit him why o cazotte wouldst thou quit romancing and diable amoureux for such reality as this poor old monsieur de sombreuil he of the invalides is seized a man seen askance by patriotism ever since the bastille days whom also a fond daughter will not quit with young tears hardly suppressed and old wavering weakness rousing itself once more oh my brothers oh my sisters the famed and named go the nameless if they have an accuser Nicholas Lamotte's husband is in these prisons, she long since squelched on the London pavements, but gets delivered. Crossed the Morand of the Courier de l'Europe, hobbles distractedly to and fro there, but they let him hobble out, on right nimble crutches, his hour not being yet come. Advocate Maton de la Varenne, very weak in health, is snatched off from mother and kin, Tricolor Rossignol, journeyman goldsmith and scoundrel lately a risen man now remembers an old pleading of matons juniac de saint maillard goes the brisk frank soldier he was in the mutiny of nancy in that effervescent regiment du roi on the wrong side saddest of all abbe sicard goes a priest who could not take the oath but who could teach the deaf and dumb in his section one man, he says, had a grudge at him. One man, at the fit hour, launches an arrest against him, which hits. In the arsenal quarter there are dumb hearts making wail, with signs, with wild gestures. He, their miraculous healer and speech-bringer, is rapt away. What with the arrestments on this night of the twenty-ninth, what with those that have gone on more or less day and night ever since the tenth, one may fancy what the prisons now were. Crowding and confusion, jostle, hurry, vehemence and terror. Of the poor Queen's friends who had followed her to the temple and been committed elsewhere to prison, some, as governess to Tourzel, are to be let go. One, the poor Princess de Lamballe, is not let go but waits in the strong-rooms of La Force there, what will be tied further. Among so many hundreds whom the launched arrest hits, who are rolled off to town hall or section hall, to preliminary houses of detention, and hurled in thither as into cattle pens, we must mention one other, Caron de Beaumarchais, author of Figaro, vanquisher of Mappio parliaments and Gertzman hell-dogs, once numbered among the demigods, and now? We left him in his culminant state. What dreadful decline is this when we again catch a glimpse of him? 
At midnight, it was but the 12th of August yet, the servant in his shirt, with wide staring eyes, enters your room. Monsieur, rise, all the people are come to seek you. They are knocking, like to break in the door. And they were, in fact, knocking in a terrible manner, d'une façon terrible. I fling on my coat, forgetting even the waistcoat, nothing on my feet but slippers, and say to him, and he, alas, answers mere negatory incoherences, panic interjections and through the shutters and crevices in front or rearward the dull street lamps disclose only streetfuls of haggard countenances, clamorous, bristling with pikes, and you rush distracted for an outlet finding none and have to take refuge in the crockery press downstairs and stand there palpitating in that imperfect costume, lights dancing past your keyhole, tramp of feet overhead and the tumult of Satan for four hours and more and old ladies of the quarter started up, as we hear next morning, rang for their bonds and cordial drops with shrill interjections, and old gentlemen in their shirts leapt garden walls, flying, while none pursued, one of whom unfortunately broke his leg. Those sixty thousand stand of Dutch arms, which never arrive, and the bold stroke of trade, have turned out so ill. Beaumarchais escaped for this time, but not for the next time, ten days after. On the evening of the twenty-ninth he is still in that chaos of the prisons, in saddest wrestling condition, unable to get justice, even to get audience. Pani scratching his head when you speak to him and making off. Nevertheless, let the lover of Figaro know that Procureur Manuel, a brother in literature, found him and delivered him once more. But how the lean demigod, now shorn of his splendour, had to lurk in barns, to roam over harrowed fields panting for life, and to wait under eavesdrops and sit in darkness, on the boulevard amid paving stones and boulders, longing for one word of any minister or minister's clerk about those accursed Dutch muskets and getting none, with heart fuming in spleen and terror and suppressed canine madness, alas how the swift sharp hound once fit to be diana's breaks his old teeth now gnawing mere windstones and must fly to england and returning from england must creep into the corner and lie quiet toothless moneyless all this let the lover of figaro fancy and weep for we hear without weeping not without sadness wave the withered tough fellow mortal our farewell his Figaro has returned to the French stage, nay, he is at this day sometimes named the best piece there. And indeed, so long as man's life can ground itself only on artificiality and aridity, each new revolt and change of dynasty turning up only a new stratum of dry rubbish and no soil yet coming to view, may it not be good to protest against such a life in many ways, and even in the Figaro way? End of Book 1, Chapter 2